Welcome back, imaginary listeners, and any non-imaginary listeners or nannies, as the imaginaries like to call you in their jolly imaginary voices. Welcome to the third episode of Lucid or Bust, the podcast about a dream to have a dream, a lucid dream. For those of you catching up, I've been on the hunt for a lucid dream for the better part of my life, or at least the life I'm living in this little corner of the multiverse. According to acclaimed theoretical physicist Brian Greene, alternative versions of me living in alternative universes could all be dream savants, bagging multiple lucid dreams every night. And if they can do it, I can do it. How's that for a positive attitude? Allow me to introduce myself. My podcast name is Prodigal D, and I am a chemical coward. That is to say, my brain chemistry is under the influence of an overachieving amygdala. So... Anytime it feels even slightly threatened, my amygdala tosses me into the deep end of fight or flight mode just to be safe, which is why I'm terrified of airplane travel, sailing in winds over three knots, chewing blueberry flavored gum near an oompa loompa, and having a lucid dream, which totally sucks because I've been trying to have one since 1975, but now that I understand that it's fear that's been holding me back all this time, well, and the failure to commit to a lucid dreaming practice for more than a month at a time, I feel like I can finally achieve my goal. Take note, imaginary minions, this time around, I'm going to try for a year and a day because I can't wait to rig up a lucid sailboat and head out for the high seas, as in the sea of dreams. So I've been at it for just over a month now, and it's time to catch you up on what I call lucid dreaming best practices. For those of you who were still awake at the end of episode one, you may recall that I was feeling kind of overwhelmed by all the information about lucid dreaming that's online now. So different from the 1970s when all I had was a library book by Patricia Garfield. But now there are dozens of websites, books, CDs, video tutorials, gadgets, and supplements. And oh, the promises they make. Five powerful tips guaranteed to unleash the power of mastering your lucid dreams in eight steps, in ten easy steps, in just 30 minutes a day, while you're doing your laundry. I just want a book called Lucid Dreaming. It's fucking hard, but don't give up. So I set a goal to put three lucid dreaming best practices into place before plunging into the internet. I think of them as the lucid dreaming trifecta, and those practices are keeping a dream journal, 
doing reality checks and meditation. I thought meditation was going to be the hardest. I've tried starting a meditation practice before, but I've always given up because it's like being trapped in an elevator that's stuck between floors with a narcissistic windbag who won't shut up. In other words, my own constantly chattering mind. But this time around, I figured out a way to put a gag on my mind. That's right. This time around, I have an app, specifically a sound generator app. So now, when I meditate, there's a soundtrack. The app I use is called MyNoise. They have dozens of trippy soundscapes like binaural beats and shamanistic drums, didgeridoos, and sounds of travel that range from riding on a railroad car to hanging out on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. You can tweak the soundscapes to your liking and also mix them together. I came up with a sweet mix for meditation that combines temple bells chiming by a gentle forest stream with a relaxing two hertz binaural beat thumping away underneath. I don't know if it's cheating to use a soundtrack when you meditate, but if it keeps me coming back for more, it can't be all bad. The next item on my lucid dreaming best practices list is reality checks. And finding the right reality check has turned out to be a real challenge. I already knew one reality check that I'd learned from Stephen LeBerge's book, exploring the world of lucid dreaming. It goes like this. To see if you are dreaming, look at some written text. Because in dreams, written words are hard to read. They keep shifting around. So in your pre-lucid dream, if you look at a page of writing and then look away and then look back and then you notice that the writing has moved or changed, then busted! It's a lucid dream. The problem with this reality check is it's become outdated. Back in 1990, when Stephen LeBerge wrote his book, 99% of all writing was ink printed on paper and it was supposed to stay still. But now everything is on screens and words are always shifting over to make room for a commercial to pop up on your computer and annoy you. So I started researching reality checks online and immediately got sucked right down into the rabbit hole of the internet. I think I could do an entire podcast about that, but let's just say that if information about lucid dreaming is a forest path meandering through the internet, if you stray off that path even a tiny bit, you will find yourself in some weird territory. I mean, weirder than homeopathy. But I managed to find some new reality checks that are kind of timeless. The first one is to pinch your nostrils closed and then try to breathe in through your nose. If you can do it, busted, you're dreaming. Another one, which kind of creeps me out, man, is you try to push a finger through the palm of your hand. Ooh, I mean, if you can do it, yeah, you know you're dreaming, but then you've got a finger stuck in your palm. 
These are just two of the many clever reality checks I found online. And you'd think that would do it, right? Wrong. These new reality checks all share the same problem. When I'm asleep, I just never stop a dream in progress and think, hmm, I wonder if I can stick my finger through my palm. I'm way too busy trying not to panic because I'm late for a craft fair setup and my booth location keeps shifting to another row, a worse row, just as I'm about to reach it and my canopy won't go up and there's that weird dog again eyeing me. Who has time? I'm far too distracted to remember to do a reality check in a dream. Yeah, I know, I know, imaginary listeners. I'm supposed to practice doing reality checks throughout the day. But whenever I try to do a daytime reality check, like I'll go, am I dreaming and pinch my nose and try to breathe? I feel like I'm phoning it in, mouthing the words. Reality just feels so real, so permanent. And compared to the lifespan of the universe, I feel so temporary. Like, who am I to question what's real? I think part of the problem is... I recently became an all-in atheist. Oh, and believe me, I wasn't trying to. Because who wants to be an atheist? Not me. You don't get do-overs. Plus, I like the idea of the universe as a giant coffee house filled with trippy, conscious energy. For years, I struggled to believe there was something that made more sense than atheism but it turned out to be a losing battle with mine own common sense. In fact, the final scoreboard looked something like this. Logic, a hundred points. Neuroscience, a hundred points. NPR, a hundred points. Magical thinking, desperately generated by my brain when it realized the direction things were going, 299 points. Hey, I never said it wasn't close. The weirdest part about becoming an atheist is that nothing has changed. I thought that as soon as I made my decision, okay, I give up, I'm an atheist now, I would think differently and feel differently, more like, I don't know, like a Vulcan. Classic Star Trek Vulcan, not reboot Star Trek Vulcan. But my brain still keeps pumping out spiritual thoughts and feelings like nothing has changed. I'll tell my brain, hey, dial down the woo-woo. Didn't you get the memo? The only place in the known universe that isn't a hostile environment to my consciousness is my own warm and breathing body. And my brain will go, absolutely, absolutely, until you die and you get to hang out in the Bardo Cafe drinking mocha and lettuccinos with your former enemies. No, brain, no! Consciousness is just an unintended side effect of the universe's tendency to diminish energy differences. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, I think that tree over there likes us. It used to really freak me out that I could know reality one way and feel it another way, like, did my brain know something I didn't? Or... Even worse, was I literally so dumb that I couldn't even remember that I was an atheist for five consecutive minutes? But then it hit me. Spiritual thoughts aren't an indication that we live in a spiritual universe. Spiritual thoughts are an indication that we live in a universe where the human brain evolved to have spiritual thoughts.
to help it survive, to help it be part of a stronger social group so that they could go out there and annihilate that weaker social group and steal their goats. So now, whenever I'm feeling spiritual, instead of stressing out about it, I just smile to myself and think, there goes my brain, doing what it do. But the point I'm trying to make here is, whenever I try to do a reality check, I get hung up on the irony. Because the only thing around here that doesn't feel real is me. Here's a perfect example. The other day I saw a rock that kind of looked like a potato and I went, hmm, that rock looks weird. Am I perchance dreaming it? I think I'll pinch my nose and check. And I could practically feel the rock laughing at me like it was going, honey, I've been here rocking this potato look since a chameleon years before you were even born. And I'll still be here a clump zillion years after your gravel dust. But you just keep telling yourself that I'm the dream. I mean, imaginary listeners, have you ever been laughed at by a rock? It's very humiliating. And I had no idea granite could be so snarky. I mean, quartz, I'd understand because of the whole new age thing. Like your quartz. You're peacefully asleep in the ground for the past clump krillion years, and suddenly a bunch of strangers show up with names like Chakra Blossom Number 7 and dig you up and drag you to Winequinox Flea Market and display you on a tray like you're a piece of salmon that's been put on sale. And now, Dances with Dolphins Number 29 is telling a prospective customer that you can cleanse their aura, summon their true love, hook them up with their personal angel, and also get them a raise at work. And you're lying in your tray trying not to panic, going, what now? I gotta do what now? Lady, I'm just a fucking rock. If you throw me in a pond at a shallow enough angle, I may skip a few times before I sink, but that's it. That's my one big move. Well, and I will cause ripples to form when I hit the water, and those ripples will expand in ever-growing circles that don't stop when they hit the shore. They just kind of transfer their energy into vibrations and continue on traveling through the atmosphere, passing through the membranes between worlds, going and growing and building and power and influence until us a trillion years from now they're felling empires, crushing civilizations, birthing entire biospheres and inspiring someone to create a recipe for cream cheese brownies that will blow your mind. Ooh. But mainly, I'm just a rock. So could I please go back to sleep now? Please? Anyway, that's the kind of attitude I'd expect from quartz. But I just always thought granite would be more chill. Okay, moving on to the final item on my best practice list, keeping a dream journal. Yikes, I honestly thought that this would be the easy one. I've always been a champion dream rememberer. In the past, 
I've had only to wake up from REM sleep and imagine touching any part of my most recent dream with the finger of my mind's eye, the pinky finger, and shazam! The entire dream would reveal itself in my mind, whole cloth, brimming with more detail than I had time to record in my handy dream journal. And while I was scribbling away with my trusty four-colored dream pen, I'd start remembering other dreams that I'd had earlier that night. Say, did you notice the use of all that past tense just now? Yeah, that was me 25 years ago, because it's literally been a quarter of a century since I've seriously tried keeping a dream journal, and things have changed a lot. There is no longer a finger in my mind's eye. It's been replaced by one of those claw machines from the arcade, groping around in the dream tank, trying to get its grip on anything. And the most frustrating part is, it's getting worse. When I first started this lucid endeavor, I could sometimes remember dream fragments or a foggy version of a dream I've just had. And there were even a few days when I'd get up to brush my teeth and suddenly, shazam, an entire dream would reappear in my head. But as this first month has progressed, my dream recall has actually gone down. It's like hat overboard all over again. I once had this hat, the most beautiful hat I had ever beheld. I sense your disbelief, imaginary listener, so I'm going to describe it to you. I saw it upon the head of a woman who'd stepped into my crafts booth at a music festival in Michigan. It was one of those caps with bills on the front, you know, like the kind that sailors wear, and written, no, emblazoned across its front was my favorite word in the entire multiverse. I'd tell it to you, but then I'd have to change about half my passwords. So let's just say that whenever I think this word, it feels like a bolt of lightning went off in my head, and I can remember the very first time my mind had been illuminated with knowledge. It also didn't hurt that the hat was a particular shade of orange. Now, you know, most of the time, orange is just so aggressively cheerful, like it practically rams itself down your retinas going, I'm orange! Why aren't you smiling more? Don't make me call in the clowns! But this hat was one of those soft, tropical, transcendent shades of orange that evoked calm happiness. I'm telling you, imaginary listeners, when I first saw that hat, Half the brain cells in my head started tripping over the other half, just trying to produce enough endorphins to meet the occasion. I immediately offered the woman anything in my booth she wanted in exchange for the hat, and it became mine. As soon as I got home to Boston, I went out sailing with my hat. For once, I wasn't even terrified. Well, the marine forecast for that day called for light and variable winds which is sailing code for drifting around the harbor watching your sails flap like two giant anemic moths. In other words, my kind of sailing. So, I'm sitting in my boat, watching the glass-like surface of the water, feeling the weight of my beautiful hat on my head, thinking that word over and over, being happy. And then, like someone had just 
changed the channel on reality. The water wasn't flat anymore. It was covered with waves. And a devious breeze snuck into the boat and snatched the hat right off my head and tossed it in the water. And for just a moment, for less than a second, it was floating right next to the boat, almost touching it. I could have reached out and plucked it out of the water. But I wasted that moment catching up on what had just happened. And by the time I reached for the hat, the hat was a wave away, just out of reach of my fingertips. And not panicking yet, I thought, okay, I got this, a uh, man overboard drill. I've done this, fall off the wind and jibe. But in the time it took to have that thought, the hat was five waves away. How did it move so fast? And then it was a dozen waves away. And then it dipped behind a wave and was gone. It never came up. But it had just been so there, just seconds ago. So in my grasp, so on my head, I could still feel the essence of it, the shadow it had cast on reality, slipping away behind it. And even after that was gone, when there was nothing to see or sense, I still had an awareness of it moving further and further away from me under the water. And that is what it feels like to wake up from REM sleep. The dream I've just had, it's right next to my conscious awareness. It's so close, I could practically touch it. But before I can grab my dream journal, before I can even warm up the language part of my brain so it could choose words to describe the dream, that dream is gone, baby gone. I can still feel the essence of it. I can practically feel the atmosphere of whatever dream space I've just been occupying touching my skin. But mainly, I can feel it moving further and further away from me. What can I tell you, imaginary listeners? Once upon a time, I was a champion dream rememberer. But I blew off my gift and now my gift is gone, and I don't know if I'll ever get it back. But I was not about to give up, so I dove back into the internet and started googling ways to improve dream recall. Most of what I found was just various rehashes of, you should start a dream journal, trying to, but one thing that kept coming up, both as a memory aid and, as a lucid dream aid, was the supplement galantamine. Now I have to confess that by this time I already had tried a supplement. I couldn't wait. A tincture made from a supposed dream herb whose full name I can't pronounce, and apparently nobody else can because they created an abbreviation for it, Cal-C, which kind of makes it sound like a university in California for zombies. Anyway, I bought a bottle on eBay, and I'll just have to take their word for it that there was actually Calzy in it. I used it for about a half a week, but all it did for me was make me $18 poorer. But the website that sold Galantamine seemed very well established in the Lucid Dream community, and when I ordered some, 
The guy running it, Nathan, I believe, sent me an email with a lucid dreaming guide, and he welcomed me to contact him if I had any questions. Now, I had plans for this galantamine, besides just taking it, I mean. I wanted to use it in a scientific experiment involving the placebo effect. One of the things I heard Lucid Sage describe on his podcast was how internet onironauts are conducting their own experiments on how to better lucid dream. The frontiers of lucid dreaming is no longer restricted to Stephen LeBurge's laboratory, and I want to be a part of that. A few months ago, I read a book called Cure, A Journey into the Science of Mind Over Body, written by science journalist Joe Marchant, about the placebo effect. A lot of this book was about brain reconditioning, a more nuanced version of the famous Pavlov's dogs experiment, where Pavlov rang a bell every time he gave his dogs a cookie until it got to the point where he only had to ring the bell and those dogs would start drooling in anticipation of those snickerdoodles. This result was B.I.G. in the scientific community. Finally, a way to generate an endless supply of dog drool, and you didn't even have to give them the cookie. Anyway, the chapter in the book that really caught my attention was about a young woman who had one of those tragic medical conditions that only responded to a drug so toxic it would save her life and then kill her. So, her brave doctor set up a system of giving her the medicine where, whenever she took her dose, she also drank a strange concoction of contradictory sense activators. I can't remember the exact details of his brew, but I think it looked like a purple milkshake, it tasted like fish, and it smelled like roses. It was disgusting, but it caught her brain's attention so completely that her brain began associating that particular sense assault with the drug. And after a while, her doctor was able to reduce the drug's dose and toxicity level, yet her brain continued to produce the benefits of a full dose. He kept reducing the dose, her brain kept picking up the slack, and eventually she, or her brain, was able to activate the beneficial effects of the drug just by visualizing a rose. I mean, wow! So, my plan is to create a similar setup for when I take galantamine and hopefully train my brain to create its own placebo galantamine when given the right cues. Now I know my experiment will probably fail or fizzle, but why not try it and see what happens in the spirit of oneironautic adventure. The day my galantamine arrived, I tore open the bottle and started procrastinating because the other thing that kept popping up when I googled galantamine was a scary-sounding phenomenon called sleep paralysis. Apparently, sleep paralysis is a common side effect of galantamine. And what is sleep paralysis? 
Here are some internet quotes from posts about sleep paralysis. Freaky, scary, terrifying, bat shit crazy. Apparently, when your body goes into sleep paralysis, it locks into place so you can't move a muscle. Your ears get assaulted by terrifying sounds. And if you're extra lucky, a minion from hell shows up and sits on your chest. Or at least that's what all the illustrations of sleep paralysis look like on the internet. Imaginary listeners, have we met? I'm a chemical coward. I want a lucid dream to get away from fear, not be ambushed by it. So I put off and I put off trying the galantamine, telling myself I needed to master some more wild techniques first. But finally, last night I said, fuck it, let's just do this. My alarm went off at 3 a.m. I dragged my reluctant body out of bed and I forced myself to eat a few Acmac crackers because galantamine is also supposed to upset your stomach. Then I set my little experiment into motion. First, I put a dropper full of Swedish bitters on my tongue. That stuff is nasty. And then, just as my tongue started to curl in on itself from the taste, I dropped a rose pastille onto it. These are disgusting French candies that taste like over-sweetened soap. For added measure, I took a deep whiff off a bottle of rose perfume I got on Amazon. And as my brain was struggling with the conflict between astringently bitter and cloyingly sweet, I focused on a picture of a blue rose, a visual contradiction, and I popped a galantamine. And then I crawled into bed and tried to fall back to sleep. But I was so wound up with fear and anxiety that I couldn't. I spent the rest of the night trying to force myself to relax enough to drift off. And then, suddenly, the morning birds were chirping and sunlight was coming through my window and it was time to wake up, at which point I finally drifted off for about 20 minutes of sleep and I had two dreams, which I remembered. So, galantamine, no lucid dreams, but definitely improved dream recall. And in one dream, I was standing in my home when a woman who kind of looked like Brianna from Game of Thrones wearing a bad wig burst through my door and yanked closed a curtain that ran along the entire length of my living room, you know, like one of those hospital room curtains that run along a track in the ceiling. And I stood there sputtering, when did that hideous thing get installed in my lovely home? It was a blue curtain featuring a completely tacky print of roses on it. I sputtered, roses aren't supposed to be blue. Duh. Not busted. Okay, I'll definitely be giving galantamine another try, but I have to wait for it to leave my system completely first. I've done my reading up on it, and if you take it too frequently, your body adjusts for it, and then it becomes less effective. Well, imaginary listeners, I think this episode is actually going to be shorter. I've got a very busy weekend coming up. My schedule is heating up, and this week it's a steampunk festival in Waltham, Massachusetts. 
the White City Festival, Waltham appointed itself Steampunk City. And who's to stop them? So it should be fun. Steampunkers dressed in their steampunkiest finery will converge from all over the known multiverse. And at the end of the festival, there's going to be a showdown between a giant steam-powered robot and a kraken that lives in the Charles River. My money's on the kraken, but I'm a Pisces, so that's how we roll. As always, you guys are the best listeners. I truly hope I've made it worth your while. And if there are any nannies out there listening, I truly hope you've enjoyed my podcast too. Although in a more likely scenario, you were probably rushing across the room to turn me off when you were struck by a rare case of daytime sleep paralysis and you froze into place unable to reach the delete button forced to listen to my voice going on and on and on if that was the case hey that counts as meditation anyway until next time sleep paralysis be damned i'm still lucid or bust